Good morning. So glad you're here today and glad that you are with us for worship. Um, If you were with us last week, you know what I mean when I introduce myself and say, I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. I don't say that in a bragging way because you are too. That's what John said to identify himself. And if you're with us last week, as we started this series, what we're talking about is that's who we are. That is our identity. And it begins with understanding, knowing, believing that we are loved by God. Because you can't pour out of a tank and love others when your own tank is empty. And so it starts there. And from there, we can really begin to make some important steps toward one anothering. If you weren't with us, you can get online and catch the the sermon last week as we started this or turn to the back of your bulletin. You'll see an outline there. I just want to dig in. I want to start with a story, though. A man went to a doctor having some trouble, not sure what was happening. So he went to the doctor to talk to him. The doctor examined the man, left the room, came back and gave him three prescriptions. And he explained it like this. Take the green pill with a big glass of water when you wake up. Then at lunchtime, take the blue pill, but after you eat lunch, and also take a big glass of water with that. And then before you go to bed, you take the red pill with another full glass of water. Well, the guy was kind of unnerved by all the medicines. He says, well, doctor, what exactly is my problem? And the doctor says, you're not drinking enough water. We make things more complicated than they need to be. And Jesus was very simple with his words about loving one another. Look at the screen there. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. If we don't get this, if we miss out on this, we will not make any progress in this whole movement that Jesus came to establish, this, this church, this whole idea of what it means to love one another. Because so much of life boils down to this. And we talked about this last week in the introductory lesson. The world is not going to notice our doctrinal correctness because they don't know the Bible. The world is not necessarily going to notice or be impressed with our moral purity because they don't believe in morality, at least the way the Bible teaches But they cannot not take note of our love. That's what Jesus is. That's how others are going to know that we are his. While there's a lack of love and and the way it's used in our world, there's no lack of definitions of love. And Jesus, what we see here, uses a whole different dictionary. He uses the word love, but he explains it in his own way. What he means, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Most of what we think about in love in this world is, is lightweight, you might say. But there's another way to another. What I'm going to do is fill in the blanks this morning and explore what Jesus meant by this. The first is this. Anothering is a command. It's a command. We, we alluded to this last week. Scripture never says you should love one another or you ought to love one another. In fact, Jesus says you must love one another. When you decide to follow Jesus, you agree to love his family. It's a package deal. It goes together. And the gospel never presents this as an afterthought. It's the first principle. This is discipleship 101. This is kind of a a, a rudimentary. It's the first thing on the curriculum. If that word discipling kind of trips you up a little bit, just, just take note. It starts 
right here. This is what it looks like. 2 John 6 in the New Living Translation. Love means doing what God has commanded us. And he's commanded us to love one another just as you heard from the beginning. So you keep the main thing, the main thing. Love God and love people. You can't do one without the other. And you can't be a rule keeper, God's rule keeper, if you ignore the intent of the rule maker. See, it's easy to read this verse and say, you know, this idea about loving, that's good, but that's just the touchy-feely. That's just the sentimentality. And say, let's sit in on the rules. I want to be obedient. But if we fall into that kind of thinking, we create, in a way, a false dichotomy that we can never really get together or wrap our heads around. One man did this. I want to know, what's the, what's the number one rule? What's the main thing? What's the greatest command? Remember he asked Jesus that. And Jesus replied in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. But even though the man didn't ask for it, Jesus gave him a second one. It's like he couldn't stop there. He had to keep going. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You can't focus on obedience and ignore this another love that Jesus talks about. That's how you live out your obedience. It's asking the question, what does love require of me at this moment? That's how you live out the law and the prophets. That's how you follow God. To pursue love interests will always agree with the law's intention. That's what God wants you to do. It's the reason you stand out. Yet from Jesus' day, even to now, his would-be followers have exhibited a disturbing tendency to study everything and kind of skip over the main thing. And this is what's going to be on the final. This is the final. These foundational commands to love God and love people. We'll study all these other things and even split churches over them. And miss these two. So here's a question, just on the sideline. How can we, how in the world can we make sexist remarks or laugh at uh, racist jokes and at the same time pat ourselves on the back for getting things right? When we focus on obedience and not loving people, we miss it. Beware of any form of religion that makes you clean when you treat others like dirt. That should be a red flag. That should never be a part of following Jesus. You have no other obligation before God greater than this another obligation. However, the person that's overwhelmed with God's love, like I talked about at the beginning there, when your tank is full, when you've accepted God's love, it's not so much a command for you, it's an opportunity. It's not a have to, it's I get to. Well, here's another one. Anothering is a choice. While Christ commands us to love, he doesn't coerce us to. It is a command but this another really requires us to make a decision. And I want to get the tension of this a little bit and just kind of speak to what's in the room because I'm convinced that you can't love another the way Jesus talked about without the Holy Spirit's help. I don't know if you've ever studied that before or thought that one through. We'll get into that more in just a moment. 
But here's my point. You cannot love one another like Jesus is talking about by gritting your teeth and just saying, I'm just going to do it. It's not in you. That's the love of the world. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, will not compel you to love more than you want to. Anothering is a choice. Look at these verses. Paul would write in Colossians 3, 14, And over all these virtues put on love. It's your choice. You put on love. You make that decision. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 for the New Living Translations. Let love be your highest goal. The English Standard Version says, Pursue love. You decide your choice. It's not just given to you. It's not automatic. Just because you name the name of Jesus, this doesn't just happen to you. Over all these virtues put on love. Let love be your highest goal. See, Jesus would use that word love, but use it differently. And use his own dictionary to describe. See, there's another way to love. A love that exalts being willing over your feeling. And this is where we get tripped up sometimes. Just listen to the way we use the word love in our culture, in our music, in our poetry, in our movies, in our conversations. Love is a feeling. That's kind of the default way that we use the word love. We even talk about love as falling, falling in love. It's almost like you're walking along and you fall into a pit and you just couldn't help it. You know, Elvis would sing the song, make the words famous, I can't help falling in love with you. Can't help it. It just kind of came over me. Well, here's the problem with that. If you fall into love, the flip side of that is you can also fall out of love. And people will say that sometimes. When a marriage is in trouble, one of the spouses will say, I just fell out of love. I'm not in love anymore. And, and that what that really reveals is they've just become a victim of this misunderstanding of love. The, the way the culture says it, yes, they get it. But not the way God talks about it. When you say, I just don't love them anymore. What I would say is that's a cowardly way to escape responsibility. Love is being willing before a feeling. If there's a feeling, that's a double bonus. But the love, the way Jesus is talking about, is a, is a willing. You stop feeling and you start willing. But I know what you're thinking, even as I say that. But if I do that, if I act a way that I don't feel that I'm being a hypocrite, I'm not being genuine, I'm not being consistent, that's not true. That's not what a hypocrite means. A hypocrite means you're pretending to be something you never intend to become. You're trying to deceive them. What we're talking about here is you're acting like the person you want to be, like you want to become. That's not being hypocritical. Even though you're going through the motions and you don't feel like it at the moment, you're willing and you're doing the right thing. Let me give you an example I think all of us can relate to. Remember when your children were young, maybe some of you are there right now, and, and your, your baby would wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning? Nobody feels like getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning and dealing with a wailing child. Isn't that true? Nobody feels like it. But you have to be willing to get up and do the right thing. So when our kids would wake up in the middle of the night, you know what I would do? I would ask, 
what does love require of me? And I'd punch Celia and say, go take care of those kids. Because I'm all about anothering, you know? Maybe you remember the story of the teacher who's trying to teach her class about fractions. Johnny couldn't get it. He just was struggling with it. He was from a large family. There were six in his family. She thought, okay, this will work. He said, Johnny, just think about your, your mom makes a pie, and you're having dessert for, for after dinner. Now, there's six people in your family. What's the fraction? How much pie does every person get? And Johnny says, without even thinking, one-fifth. And so she says, well, let's think about that. There's six people in your family. And so if your mom cuts up the pie and she serves, how much pie would every person get? And he again says, one-fifth. And so she scratches her head and she says, you know, Johnny, I'm trying to help you understand fractions. And he says, I think I get fractions. I don't think you understand my mom because she would say she doesn't want any. We understand Love wills to do the right thing, the best thing. Love is willing. Jesus went to the cross not because he felt like it, but because he was willing to. It was a choice for him. You always drift toward lightweight loving unless you decide otherwise. The message paraphrases 1 Corinthians 14.1, Go after a life of love. I like the way that's worded. Well, number three, anothering is a commitment. This lightweight loving that we throw around in our songs and our movies make relationships like everything else in our culture disposable. It can be a great movie for an hour and a half or two hours, but after that, it's over. Anothering is love over the long call. It's a lifestyle. It's not a hobby. Look at 1 Peter 4, 8 from the English Standard Version. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins the new living translation says most important of all continue to show deep love and then first john 4 16 says if we keep on loving others we will stay one within our hearts with god and notice the wording there that, that that keep loving keep on loving anybody can love for a moment but what we're talking about is love over the long haul to keep on loving it's a tougher love than that and let's just say it's not natural. It's not easy. You have to choose, but you can't do it on your own. That's why I think we need help. Now, this is not my idea. This is why I think the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to live this out. Look at Romans 5, 5. Paul said he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. The English Standard Version renders that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So love is a choice, but it's also a fruit. Pray, Lord, I'm yours. I want to love like you love. I want to accept your love. Let me walk in your Holy Spirit. Let me love like Jesus. And if you pray that kind of prayer, if you live that kind of life, you need to buckle up and prepare for your life to be transformed. Go back and read Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to have patience and kindness and goodness and all the things listed there. Because the Holy Spirit is filling your heart with love. That doesn't happen because of the way you were raised or your mom or dad or where you were born. It's because you belong to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is filling our hearts with love.
And then God continues our education, if I can use that word, by putting us in a community of faith. We call it church. Because we don't just get it once, we continue to grow in this. And in the church, there's so many examples to inspire us. Just think about that. In our church family, how many examples we have, people who have love for the long haul. We see a couple who are so dedicated, even through difficult times. We see people who have given their faith, their heart to God, and even though they've gone through difficulties, they've loved through the long haul. And there's others, even our own peers, that encourage us to go through the same thing, same age, same background. And our church family, they encourage us. So there's good examples. But let me also say that even in the church context, there's opportunities for us to grow in love because there's difficult people. There's some people that just drive you nuts. There's some people that we say, get on your last nerve. And they give you an opportunity to love that is beyond you. If it was just up to you, you would have written them off and given up on them a long time ago. They treated you wrong. But you have to grow in love and forgive them. There's an opportunity there. See, how can you grow if you can't be forced in a situation where you have to face it? Not just leave, but face it. Give grace and love them. Hebrews 10, 24, the writer says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. We need help in this, to another each other. It's our highest work, our greatest witness. And what I want to say is every one of us have ways and opportunities to do this. In your world, in your family, in your job, with your neighbors, every one of us can do this. I'll give you a great example. Max Lucado talked about David Robinson. Maybe you know David Robinson, the great basketball player, uh, MVP of the NBA, won many rings, very dedicated Christian. On his 10th anniversary, he wanted to do a, a vow renewal with his wife. So he flew... Max and his wife and several of his uh, basketball buddies and all of his family to Hawaii for a beachside vow renewal. And so there they were on the beach. Max is officiating there. It's a beautiful gathering. And as Max tells the story, he said, David then stopped midway through the ceremony, got on his knees. So he was still taller than most everybody there. But he got on his knees and he looked in the eyes of his three sons, David Jr., Corey, and Justin. And he said this, I want you to know I will never leave your mother. I want you to know you will never not have a daddy. If you don't know, Father's Day is just around the corner. Just a couple of Sundays away. And if you have someone who showed you that kind of love, I hope you look for an opportunity to say thank you. I also want to say, if any of you are inspired to go to Hawaii for a vow renewal and you need a minister, <laughs> I'm so willing to go along with you because I'm all about anothering. Number four, anothering is a conduct. Young married couple left on their honeymoon it's a beautiful wedding great honeymoon she got home she called her mom she says mom 
And her mom could tell she was upset. What's wrong? Was the honeymoon? What, 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 what's wrong? She says, oh, the wedding was great. The honeymoon was great. But when we got back home, she said, I don't know. Stan turned into a different person. He's using all this horrible language, things I've never heard him say before. Mommy's using four-letter words. It's awful. Well, the mom was shocked, and she didn't know what to do. And she said, well, what do you mean by this? What words are, is he using? She said, Mom, I don't know if I could say them. But she did. She says, Mom, he's using words like cook and dust and wash, iron. It's more than a movie. It's reality. I want you to get this. It's a conduct because it's concrete. It's not lightweight loving. It's not feel-good loving. It's more than that. It's deeper than that. Jesus is calling us to a life where love is tangible, where it's real. I mean, sometimes you get on your knees, not because you're maybe making an impression to your young boys, maybe because you're scrubbing a toilet. You're doing something that's needed, visible actions to empty ourselves out for others. John wrote this, 1 John 3, 18. Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our action. Most of our love is talk. But what Jesus is talking about here, it is walk. Let me show you what that looks like. Look at the screen, these pictures of children. Some of you recognize these children. You might guess they are children from India. We know of them through Bill and Lola Margaret Hall. Such a blessing to have Abraham Lincoln with us this past month. And you know that there where he does so much good work is an orphanage. And their children who were there, these children are sponsored by people sitting in this room. These orphans have a home because of you. That's just another love we're talking about. For the last several months, you've heard Bill Alsop, you've read it in her bulletin about that coin bank for Tennessee Children's Home. Some of you do much more than that for these children who've been orphaned. That's just another love we're talking about. But even more than that, some of you have adopted an orphan. You've not just opened your checkbook, you've opened your home. And that child's sitting with you this morning. They're in your family. That's another love. That's concrete love. Love is a conduct. Love is an action. Love's like a muscle. You have to use it for it to grow, to get stronger. It's costly, but it's an investment. And then number five, anothering is a credit. Jesus is decidedly unimpressed with lightweight loving. That's what everybody does. So he's not impressed with that. Remember in Luke 6, he talked about that, about loving your enemies, about turning the other cheek, about if somebody sues you, you, you give them even more. But then he said this, Luke 6, 32 and 33, if you love those who love you, look at his wording here, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit, there's that word again, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. So don't expect Jesus to be impressed with you if you act loving and, and, and nicely 
to good people, to nice people, to folks who can pay you back. That's what he's talking about here. Don't expect Jesus to be impressed with you loving people that you can love without the Holy Spirit's help. God gives no credit for any act of obedience that's not done with love. The Galatian church, if you remember, was arguing about what does it mean to be a Christian and do we let these Gentiles in or not? Do they have to be circumcised or do they not? What does it mean? And Paul would write and say that circumcision doesn't matter. For years it mattered to the Jews, and to some Jews it still matters, but as far as the kingdom of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter. He wrote these words, Galatians 5, 6, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's what counts. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Look on the screen at 1 Corinthians 13. I know you know this verse. You know it very well. But don't you think about how Paul is writing this verse and what he is saying here. Look there at verse 1. He said, nothing I say will matter. Nothing I say will If I can communicate with tongues or of angels, if I don't love people, it doesn't matter. Look at verse 2. Look what it says there. Nothing I know will matter. I can have insight into mysteries, special revelation. But if I don't love those I teach, it doesn't matter. Nothing I believe will matter. I may have such amazing faith that people are so impressed with me that they come to me to have me to pray over them. But if I don't love them, it doesn't matter. Look at verse 3. Nothing I give will matter. You may have buildings, orphanages with your name on them. But if you don't love the people inside, it doesn't matter. Nothing I do will matter. He said, even if I die, even if you were killed for standing up for the cause of God, if you don't love those people taking your life, it doesn't matter. First Corinthians 13.3 from the message reads like this. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. That's Bible math, people. Anything minus love equals nothing. Anything minus love equals nothing. Are we beginning to see how critical these words of Jesus are? Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And let me just share that you may have the moment of amazing love when you are at the very bottom of your own circumstances. Let me show you what I mean by that. In 1997, Mitch Album wrote a book that became an international phenomenon, Tuesdays with Maury. You remember that? It's all about his reunion, the writer's reunion with a college professor. Maury Schwartz was battling ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. The two men spent 14 Tuesdays together, and each visit basically is a chapter in the book. On the eighth Tuesday, Album brought a newspaper, talked about the day, the happenings. 
And there was an article there talking about Ted Turner's frustration about not being able to acquire CBS. And Turner was quoted as saying, I don't want my tombstone to read, quote, he never owned a network. So the conversation that followed, what's important, what matters, is it about acquiring or is it about giving? As it drew to a close, Schwartz explained why he's so interested in talking to people about their life, even though his own life was just ebbing away. He said this, I'm dying, right? Why do you think it's important for me to hear other people's problems? Don't I have enough pain and suffering of my own? Of course I do. But giving to other people is what makes me feel alive. Not my car or my house. Not what I look like in the mirror. When I give my time, when I can make someone smile after they were feeling sad, it's as close to healthy as I ever feel. There's another way to do life. And it's Jesus' way of loving one another. Love God. Love people. Keep the main thing the main thing. Our VBS is just around the corner. One of our highlights of the year. We all love it, all of us, every age. You ever seen a church try to depict the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? That's not an easy thing to do. For children or adults, one guy named Brandon Moody told about a, a church that was doing that, the final scene. They had Jesus, and they had him roped up, and the actor was ready to, to say the, quote, the Great Commission. And that was to be the cue for him to be, the ropes to go, and for him to go up into a hole in the ceiling. And everything was going so well, he quoted it flawlessly, and he started going up. <clears throat> And then the guys pulling the ropes kind of lost their grip, and he started coming back down. And so it was like the ascension and the second coming all at the same time. And so after quoting the Great Commission and going up, he came back down. He's kind of dangling just right above the stage, and he says, Oh, and one more thing. Love one another. (laughs) What we know is that for Jesus it wasn't a, Oh, one more thing. Love one another. From the beginning, you remember? When I read that story, I'm convinced that if Jesus were to make a surprise visit to any one of us, and sometimes we long for that, don't we? If I could just see him face to face, if I could just talk to him, you know, if I could just have a moment, I truly believe what he would tell every one of us is this, love one another. It starts there, and you never move past it. We're going to sing a song of worship to encourage you to name the name of Jesus. Let him make you a new creation. Let your sins be washed away in baptism. Let him add you to his church so that you can be filled with his Holy Spirit. So that you may love as he's loved you. Or if we can just pray for you. Maybe for you it's just to understand what this means. Or maybe for you it's to go the second mile. Or turn the other cheek. If we can encourage you in any way, why don't you come as we stand and sing?